Let us pray. Indeed, O God, it is our goal, our purpose in this walk with you, that our souls might magnify the gift of grace we've been given in Jesus Christ. And that is why we come week after week to seriously consider the words of Holy Scripture and the person and work of Jesus Christ, not only in history, but in the present. For he is the great I am, the one who was and is and is to come. And so we call upon you now, O Lord, and ask that you take the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours, that together we might grow in the grace and knowledge and love of Jesus. These things I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back to week number two of the sermon series, Seekers of the Light. This Advent series is based upon the phrase, Um, Seekers of the Light, which is the title of our Christmas cantata this year, which is going to be performed on Sunday, December 19th. Yes, that's right. The choir's Christmas gift to you is that you do not have to hear me preach the Sunday before Christmas. (laughs) Our music director, Deb Benedict, selected this cantata in late summer, and as I prayed over how I might craft the sermon series and the devotional, The very first scripture lesson that the Holy Spirit offered me was this one. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words to the people of Israel when they were going under um, Assyrian captivity. Assyrian captivity would begin a series of captivities over the course of 800 years, whereby kingdoms would rise and they would fall, each inhabiting the lands of God's people. The Assyrians would give way to the Babylonians and the Persians and eventually the Romans, into which Jesus of Nazareth would be born. The shadow of death was more than a metaphor. The darkness of death and the loss of freedom and of purpose created a spiritual darkness among God's people. Yet God's light never ceased to offer hope and peace and joy and love in the darkness. And the promise of a future where light overcomes the darkness was on the horizon. Our world continues to live in the shadow of death. We saw this past week in Oxford, Michigan, as yet another mass school shooting took place, that darkness is an ever-present reality. The child, that, the child, the child that took the lives of four others and injured seven more is a sophomore, the same grade as our youngest daughter, Haley. One of the girls killed in the shooting was 17. Her name is Madison, and her name is spelled exactly the same as our 17-year-old daughter, M-A-D-I-S-Y-N. I had a little jingle for that when she was little. M-A-D-I-S-Y-N, that's how you spell Madison. <laughs> I also had a potty training song, but I shouldn't share that here. <laughs> It often seems like the darkness of death wins the day. But death doesn't win the war. Hear that again. It often seems like the darkness of death wins the day, but death doesn't win the war. Jesus does. 
For the light of God with us is an ever-present reality that will one day put an end to all violence and all death. The light seekers of old were seeking this light. They were ready for this light to come and they were waiting on the light. And at just the right time in human history, God's light was born into our world so that light would always be present whether people choose to seek it or not. As Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. Jesus came at just the right time. Jesus was born and he lived and he died and he resurrected and he ascended at no other time than just the right time. And the light seekers of old, they were ready for him. The light seeker that we considered last week was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary received the hope of significance because she was seeking the light. The angel Gabriel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Into the darkness of a world that framed Mary as a nobody from nowhere. The light of God's grace found Mary. And told her she was significant, highly favored, someone. Today we consider another light seeker of old, Joseph. Mary's husband and God's chosen stepfather for Jesus. Now we don't know much about Joseph. For instance, how many times does Joseph speak in the Bible? None. He don't talk a lick. If you need a translation for that, it's, uh, (laughs) he speaks not at all. In the handful of verses in which Joseph appears, he never utters a single word. How old was Joseph? Well, Roman Catholics believe he was an older man when Jesus was born. Protestants tend to believe he was older than Mary, but not yet as old as uh, an old man at the time of Jesus' birth. So how old was he? Well, we don't know. What is certain from the gospel accounts is that by the time Jesus began his public ministry at the age of 30, Joseph was no longer living. So what do we know about Joseph? Well, For starters, Joseph was a regular Joe. Really. Like most people, he had a hometown, Bethlehem. By the way, you know Bethlehem means house of bread. Man, what a great place to be from. Right? Add some gravy to that bad boy, and we got a place to be. Now, Bethlehem was about five miles outside of Jerusalem. It was a working-class suburb comprised of shepherds and laborers. And we also know that Joe had relocated to a new town to live called Nazareth. And like most people, Joe had a job. He was a carpenter. The Greek there for Joseph's occupation was tecton. It means woodworker or craftsman or possibly a stonemason. Tecton is part of the modern word architect, but he was not an architecton. He was not a master builder. He was not like an archangel, a master angel. He was just a tecton, a worker, a craftsman, stonemason. The story of Joseph is the story of a regular Joe facing a tough situation. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the Bible doesn't tell us who told Joseph that Mary was pregnant, but we can assume it's Mary, right? Now, can you imagine how Joseph must have felt? Certainly, he must have felt betrayed, right? After all, the only logical explanation was that Mary had cheated on him. I imagine it was a long walk back to Bethlehem for Joseph when he found out. I bet he was angry. I bet he raged. I bet he said things like, how could she do this to me? I bet he didn't believe her story about an angel and the Holy Spirit making her pregnant. Would you? The next verse reads, because Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how much time elapsed between Joseph finding out that Mary was pregnant and his decision to quietly divorce her. All we know, all we know is that Joseph decided to be merciful. You see, it was Joseph's legal right to charge Mary with adultery under the law. Joseph could have Mary publicly stoned to death or at the very least publicly shamed, but he didn't do that. When faced with the possibility that his fiance had been unfaithful, Joseph chose to be merciful. And listen, because there's an often overlooked insight here. You see, in in quietly divorcing Mary, everyone would have assumed that Joseph had gotten Mary pregnant and that he didn't want to marry her anymore. In other words, the shame would have been Joseph's. And he loved Mary so much that he was willing to take on that shame himself. It says something about his character, doesn't it? Before Joseph knew anything about God's involvement, before the stares and the rumors, before his family saying to him, you need to leave that girl, before the morning sickness and the long hike to Bethlehem, before all of this and everything that was to come, this seeker of the light chose to be merciful. Because the God he follows is a merciful God. And because Joseph first chose mercy, the light of grace came upon him. And Joseph received the peace of purpose because he was a seeker of the light. The story continues, but after he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The situation Joseph found himself in was at best tumultuous. At worst, it was scandalous. Yet God chose Joseph to receive the blessing of raising Jesus as a son. God did not ask this of Joseph without offering assurance that what he told Mary was true. The assurance received by Joseph granted him the peace of purpose. And he was going to need that peace. Why? Because the world in which Mary and Joseph lived was not going to understand why he was staying with Mary. And the world, the world was not going to understand Jesus either. It would begin with Herod trying to kill Jesus and all the firstborn in Judea. And it would end 33 years later on a hilltop in Calvary. But Joseph understood 
He received from God a peace that surpasses all understanding. And when Joseph received God's peace, he became a purpose-driven man. A man on a mission. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the light of God was going to be born into the world to be God with us. To be the permanent lampstand against the shadow of death and then to one day completely cast away death's dark shadow. He would be the Prince of Peace. He would be the only one to ever say, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. And friends, I hold on to that peace every time my daughters go to school. He would offer the world the peace that the world cannot give itself because he's not from this world, but he became of this world for our sake and for the sake of all creation. He who had the whole world in his hands was choosing to come willingly into the hands of the world so that humanity might beat and crucify and bury him. He did this because he is the only one who can put death out of its misery. But first... He had to be born. Then he had to be held. And he had to be loved. And he had to be nurtured. He had to be raised. He had to be educated. He had to learn a trade. He had to become an adult. And he had to begin his ministry. And so, in a hollowed out cave of a stranger's barn, while oxen load, a crying newborn was placed into the hands of a regular Job. Hands that were hard from working wood and stone. Hands that sawed and nailed. Hands that have been filled with splinters too many times to count. Rough, dry, and skin-split hands from a lifetime of work. Into the hands of Joseph was placed this tiny frame with ten tiny toes and ten tiny fingers and the smoothest skin that Joe probably ever touched in his life. I imagine that as Joseph studied the tiny form, his heart becoming strangely warmed, it dawned upon him that this is not God upon a throne, but God with us, flesh and bone. Instinct probably took over the carpenter in that moment and Joseph left hand and arm pulled the baby close to his chest. Any of you that have ever had babies, sometimes I still rock. He probably took his right hand and he instinctively just pet the baby's head with his thumb, just gently caressing the forehead of a newborn. And as the baby's small breathing frame was stilled of his crying, the newborn's eyes looked up at Joseph. And Joseph, A regular Joe with a hush whisper would become the first person in human history to utter the name that is above all names, Jesus. Jesus. 
She will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Friends, whatever struggle you may have going on in your life right now, no matter how tough, tumultuous, or chaotic life might be, we might do well to remember the story of Joseph. For the same peace that God granted Joseph is available to all of us through Jesus Christ. And that peace that surpasses all understanding reminds us that we too are called to be purpose-driven. Bearing the light of Jesus' peace in the darkness of our generation. Friends, our generation needs it. And so as I end this sermon, I do so with one of my favorite poems entitled, The Hands That First Held Mary's Child. And I invite you just to contemplate what you hear. The hands that first held Mary's child were hard from working wood. From boards they sawed and nailed and fired, and splinters they withstood. This day they gripped no tool of steel, they drove no iron nail, but cradled from the head to heel our Lord, newborn and frail. When Joseph marveled at the size of that small breathing frame and gazed upon those bright new eyes and spoke the infant's name, the angel's voice he once had dreamed poured out from heaven's height and like the host of stars that gleamed blessed earth with welcome light. This child will be Emmanuel, not God upon a throne, but God with us, Emmanuel, as close as blood and bone. The tiny form in Joseph's palms confirmed what he had heard, and from his heart rose hymns and psalms from heaven's human word. The tools which Joseph laid aside, a mob would later lift and used with anger, fear, and pride to crucify God's gift. Let us, O Lord, not only hold the child who's born today, but charged with faith, may we behold to follow in his way. And this is the word of God seriously considered this day for Calvary Church. All thanks and praise be to the God who gives us the peace of purpose in Jesus Christ. Amen.